Hey, hi, hello, and happy New Year's, queers. This is RB looking up from my 1,000-piece Stranger Things puzzle long enough to welcome you to Take the Last Bite, a show where we also see that picture frame that's hanging on the wall crooked, so we walk up to it and straighten it out because that looks so much better. Today's episode is our year-end Small Bite segments, where I chat with members of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity team about major lessons from the full year. This is also our season closer. We will be back with season four, so if you have any suggestions or pitches for guests, our inbox is open. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. As we enter into planning our fourth season, I'd like to emphasize that the work of the Midwest Institute is completely volunteer labor, including the production of this podcast. While it's our determination to bring stories of Midwest queer and trans communities to the masses that drives us, this work cannot be sustained on thoughts and prayers alone. I invite you to check out sgdinstitute.org giving to learn more about our partners in equity aka OPE giving program, and the benefits of setting up a one-time or recurring donation to aid us in this vital work. All of your support, whether it's monetary, sharing our content with others, or participating in our programs is greatly appreciated. Before we get into the deep critical conversations with my colleagues, let's do a quick recap of 2022, huh? Courtesy of TikTok, I was baffled to learn that it was in 2022 that we learned the perils of using Gorilla Glue in one's hair. Also from TikTok, we were all gifted a glimpse into a young boy's life who is infatuated with corn and songs generated from his high praise of the, quote, big lump with knobs. Janelle Monet publicly waved her non-binary flag loud and proud, and the lesbians the world over gushed, probably literally, over the queers fuck cast and storylines of the League of Their Own TV show, and bartenders made more Negronis than they can count, with Prosecco. Russia invaded Ukraine, which trans folks were somehow blamed for. Monkeypox, now called Mpox, reached significant spread, which queer and trans folks were also blamed for, not to mention accusations about queer and trans kids demanding litter boxes in school bathrooms. Obviously, there's so much more, especially beyond the media-hyped viral news stories or large-scale events. On a smaller level, 2022 was filled with queer and trans people continuing to reconfigure our lives around emerging political precarity, various health threats, a fucked-up economy, or the burden of being the creatives of our cultures. The small bite segments in today's episode showcase how in the last year, as we've all individually moved our first few steps from the initial strike of the COVID-19 pandemic, queer and trans folks are scrutinously examining their environments, their stabilities, their ecosystems. The stories shared here vulnerably and gracefully by my friends and co-conspirators are about hard choices, self-doubt, persistence, 
and taking cues from what life has laid out for us. And while the stories are specific to each guest, there's a universalism and familiarity to the sum of the stories that ring true for many queer and trans narratives. As we enter into 2023, we're hopeful that these reflections centered around the questions, what is something you did this year that you didn't think you could? And who taught you something transformative this year and what was that lesson? We'll encourage y'all to also delve deep and consider what shaped your year, who served as a model or guiding light for you, and what are you leaving behind that no longer serves you? Pop the cork, but point it away from people. On this episode, of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and oppression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough. And how far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know, we're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably. <laughs> if you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice, and if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is, Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. To kick us off, this first small bite catches Andy sharing their experience of imposter syndrome as they sought out a new job as a web developer and landed one at a dream company. You wanted to talk about something that you did this year that you did not think was possible based on mm-hmm. the prompts that I gave you. So why don't you go ahead and lay out what that um, big deal item was for you? Okay, so <laughs> I am a web developer and in my little section of the web developer universe, there is a company called Titan. So like Titan has always been, as long as I've been in this, like, sphere of web, has been, like, the dream job. They, like, Mm -hmm. treat their folks well. They're a tight-knit group of folks, but it's also, like, the pinnacle. So, yeah, like, last year I accepted a job with them, and that was super exciting, but it was also, like, a job that apparently they'd been, like, kind of tracking me for for years but I never thought I was ready for (laughs) and then I got it and I was like oh wait y'all have been just like waiting why the fuck did you not tell me um but yeah like so that was like a really rewarding experience because I never like my imposter syndrome was like I'm never gonna be good enough to work there I'm never going to deserve this honor or whatever bullshit my brain decided to come up with Mm. um and so i started the job in march and it's been awesome to like work in a place where everyone uses my pronouns correctly if they mess up they correct themselves unprompted they actually see me for who i am they treat me well they treat everybody well and so yeah i'm like working with awesome devs from all over the country and even all over the world and learning so much too and it's just great so in terms of uh you know reflecting on this kind of core question of like doing something that you didn't think was possible for you to do it it seems like it's a combination of like you didn't think it was possible for you to enter into a 
role at Titan because that was one of your kind of pie in the sky dream mm-hmm. locations. Is it all was it also um compounded by kind of the the restlessness or kind of the the uncertainty that comes with like transitioning to a new job or just kind of leaving a previous job was that a part of it too no I think I was like pretty much done with my old job like they treated me well enough for a you know what normal folks expect from an employer employee relationship but it wasn't enough for me anymore so I was pretty much like ready to go but like getting the timing right with titan because like they technically didn't have a job posted and i was like hey you know this verbal thing that i kind of thought was bullshit when you said it because like i think everything is my brain tells me every no one is actually serious about anything or like (laughs) actually um believe people when they say they like me or stuff like that was just great brain stuff i don't know if fit it was a good timing they were looking to grow and expand and like it worked out timing wise and yeah i was ready to go from my old job and like do something different than what i had been doing for like four years and what's nice about titan is that it's a consultancy so it's nice to work on a team it's the first time in my professional career where i've actually worked on a team Mm -hmm. and like had somebody to like hey i'm stuck on this can we like chat through it or like hop on a call and just like pair on it for a bit and it's just nice to have that camaraderie like i don't have to be the person who has all the answers even at a company where like we are market ourselves as subject matter experts because we are but also the understanding within our company that like just because we're good at what we do doesn't mean that we know everything sure which is super refreshing mm-hmm. so you've had the job since march and mm-hmm. it sounds like you were definitely at a place which I think a lot of us have felt of being ready to jump into a new job because things are fine enough, but not, um, not fulfilling in a previous job. So it, it sounds like you're still kind of squirming with the experience of like, wow, I'm good enough to do this or, you know, wow, mm-hmm. I'm being encouraged to like actually own the fact that I'm, you know, capable and competent and excel at my job. What in the moment though of like, maybe right before March of this year when you started with Titan, like what clicked for you that like allowed you to accept even in like a low key way? Like I am, I am good enough, which is a shitty concept, but that's <laughs> like, like I am good yeah. enough. Like this, this is meant for me. Like, even if I don't feel ready, like this is meant for me, what clicked, what light bulb went off or what kind of like encouragement do you think you got either internally yeah. or externally to say like, yep, I can step into this and I'm going to make it work. So at last job, we actually hired Titan to do some like technical consulting. Mm-hmm. So I got feedback from like a senior developer at Titan that like my stuff was good. And I was like, wait, what? I, you know, like. Not like your Institute folks don't tell you that all the time either. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, but like in a different way, sure. right? Like you, someone who does that. your type of work, yeah, is giving you kudos, yes, yeah. Because I, who don't know a damn thing about web development, can yeah. tell you, Andy, you're majestic at this, and you're like, cool, thanks, and also, yeah, Harvey like, doesn't know jack shit about web development. <laughs> okay, so like, let's put it this way: if I was to edit as a person who at least in the institute world knows that I am terrible at writing and I am a terrible editor. I'm bad at grammar. I stink at spelling without like, you know, typing it into something like me reading something of yours and being like, this is great. Hits a little different than like an editor, like a really good, like it hits different. It do. We're like, Yes, external validation is unfortunately or fortunately like something that, you know, really is something that currently I need. But like getting external validation from a person who's like seen the interworkings of this thing I built Mm -hmm. and being like, I don't have much to critique here Mm -hmm. was like, oh, cool. Like, this is great. Mm -hmm. Like. I can do this. Like I do actually know all of my stuff, like the things I've taught myself and learned and from the community and like all of these various tidbits that I've been stuffing into my brain over the last five years actually has resulted in a product that is good inside and out. So like that was super fulfilling and helpful in like encouraging me that I could do the thing. Well, it sounds like to what you mentioned just a bit earlier, right? That like in your previous role, the just general structure of things was that you were working mostly in isolation. I was the only web developer. Correct. Right. And like, I, I can loosely, you know, relate to that because even within my larger office Mm -hmm. in my, my, you know, paid job, I am within my office, kind of a party of one orchestrating my particular unit. And so sometimes it's difficult to really kind of be not necessarily confident, but just like assured in a choice or decision because you don't have Mm -hmm. a sounding board or you don't necessarily have a point of reference in the same way that you might working with other folks who are working jointly on a project so I think that um checks out and I don't know where the thought was going but just like I I hear that and also like (laughs) I'm curious too like is that is that par for the course in web development world where you're going to find less instances of kind of collaboratively working on projects or does it just vary across the across the field it varies Mm -hmm. it like usually at smaller companies you'll have one or two web developers in small nonprofit spaces, you mm-hmm. will probably have one. But, you know, as you get into bigger and bigger companies, like, I don't know, uh, Twitter just laid off Ooh. like a ton of people. And I'm Ooh. like, how did you employ that many people in this one sector, much yeah, less in your entire company? <laughs> it always <laughs> comes yeah. back to capitalism. Yeah, it does. Uh, but like, gotcha. um, So yeah, Yeah. like being a solo dev is not a unique experience. I mean, even for you, you had been in a position where you were in that kind of that silo mm -hmm. and then kind of by having Titan come in to, to work on technical assistance, right. You got a taste of what it looks like to have someone kind of review 
and give holistic mm-hmm. feedback about like here's here you know a yeah. a plus for andy right like you yeah. know in a way that like you can kind of give yourself but it doesn't feel the same and that's what i'm yeah. that's what i'm hearing from you of just like this person this external person who has no obligation theoretically yeah has no to, obligation to be nice to, to me. yeah yeah no <laughs> exactly like he's a great human and is super nice and like i don't know but he was like no this is quality and like the stuff that you asked me to advise you on here are a few ideas here are things that like maybe you don't know about and this is why this works or this is how whatever but it wasn't condescending it wasn't mean it was just like hey did you know this thing this might be useful in this spot to achieve this goal and I was like oh cool i hadn't learned that before and it's just like the whole vibe at titan is like let's grow together let's share the tidbit that we're passionate about to everybody so maybe more people will become passionate about our little Mm -hmm. like tidbit that we're excited about um like we have titan talks which are like I don't know. Uh, my friend JMO is giving one on like urban gardening. Okay. Because that's what they're excited about. Sure. And I'm like, cool. Like, I'll get to learn about, you know, urban gardening mm-hmm. in Colorado because that's where JMO lives. But like, I don't know. It's just fun and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, we have technical talks too, but like, it's a mishmash because mm-hmm. like, it is understood that we're more than just developers. And I think that's the, like, that's the thing that I really needed was like, I am more than just this code puncher. That's just like type, 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 type Mm -hmm. in like a hacker movie where like, you know, you're in a (laughs) cave and whatever. It's nice to be seen as more than an avenue to make more money. Mm -hmm and be seen as a person rather than a human that can do the thing that they need to sell more shit. Well, I'm certainly glad, you know, that you have entered into a role that is refreshing, that is new, like newly. And doesn't make me want to punch shit all the time. You know, like that feel, that's really good, you know? <laughs> um, you know, and I think uh, it, it seems like there's a theme even across just the the small bites for this, um, for this round of, you know, Danielle also entering a new job, you know, in this place of just like, with everything else going on in life, just like this, this resounding, like, relief of kind of coming into something that even you know jobs come and go but like ultimately Mm -hmm. like if you can enter into something and feel excited about it and feel like at minimum you're going to be able to learn something new you're going to extract lessons about like here's what I liked from a previous job here's what I didn't like you know here's what I can carry into something else um I think that's all really valuable um Mm -hmm. and I I mean you as my friend yes who have like seen me I mean, albeit mostly virtually. Yeah. This year, this time last year, when we were recording a soundbite, and the only thing I had positive in my life was animation. Uh huh. And now, and there's that tie-in. You for found you. it. You found it. Uh huh. 
but like and now i'm like no i'm excited about all these things like 3d printing and you audience can't see there's like 3d printers behind me but um and also web development and i found a new like passion about what i'm working on and working with and like just an excitement for existence i guess uh-huh. that wasn't there last year sure and yes i still watch a shit ton of animation you and do. it's great we'll almost surely talk about it next season for sure yeah <laughs> yeah yes um so to uh officially wrap us up great um i asked this question of the others as well um what are you leaving in 2022 and what are you taking into 2023 which is funny because i like literally just had this conversation with my parents of like i'm done doing things that i don't want to do pew pew like i i i'm a little bit done with like the familial obligation like if I'm not like genuinely enjoying the time that I'm spending with people, I don't want to do it. Mm. I like, I'm happy sitting at home, watching animation, playing with our dogs, you know, hanging out with people who actually see me for who I am as a non binary, trans, whatever. Like, I. <laughs> Being around people who can't do me the courtesy of, you know, using my pronouns or at least correcting themselves when they fuck up. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't have patience anymore, I guess, for mm-hmm. the folks in my life who are, like, still lagging, I guess. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm excited for band starting up in a few weeks and i yesterday had this moment of panic realizing that my band concert is on the same day as my cousin's wedding and i was like but i have never wanted to go to this wedding i really love my cousin she's great but do i want to go into a room with her to be husband who i know makes guns for a living eh. do i expect her and her to be husband to afford me and my spouse the same respect that her brother like my cousin's brother did for his wedding where like he addressed us both on our little invite with mx and like knows that my spouse jess is vegetarian but also like sensory like doesn't like a lot of Mm -hmm. sensory or textures in their food and was like here is what we had this is what we thought for jess will this work or would you or is there something else on this menu that would work better and it's like the fact that they cared that much Mm -hmm. to like check in Mm -hmm. for their wedding Mm -hmm. which like you've got all this other stuff to do but like they wanted us to enjoy ourselves where like I don't expect my other cousin to quite do that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, something I really enjoy of band versus something that I'm going to dread the whole time. 23, I'm gonna pick the thing that I'm gonna enjoy. 
sorry, but that, no, I'm not sorry. Like, yes, I am, but also not. And I'm fighting with my brain to reconcile that. Well, you heard it here first, Andy, who is a cancer son, which feels super relevant to this, is going to (laughs) relinquish the familial obligation in 2023. So there is no public record <laughs> of you asserting this for yourself, but I will be sure to yep. remind you of this moment <laughs> throughout the calendar year, yep. uh, the very next time you bring up some kind of familial obligation. So glad we glad we have this. Um, this it's not documented. All... Yes, <laughs> but I do want to qualify for when you like call me out on shit later, which I will. I know you will. Um, <laughs> It's the familial obligations where I am not excited Fair. about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's not something what is that Mar- I'm what, going to What remember. is it? Oh, I almost said Miriam Kaba. Who's the... I destroyed it. I ruined it. I don't the, know. The, the, the minimalist cleaner. Oh, like, the If it Netflix... doesn't bring you joy. Yeah. If it doesn't bring you joy, it ain't happening. Yeah, Hypothetically. Ta-da. All right, fam. Well, again, I'm glad we have this on record so that I have a accountability tool for you later. Mm -hmm. And I'm very glad. Yes, I have noticed a drastic difference. And I'm sure other folks on our team have as well about your, you know, general vibe and energy as you've been participating in this new job. And I hope that that continues for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then we can do our animation episode probably after February when Owl House wraps up beautiful i'm sure there'll be other things for us to talk about too yeah yeah okie doke bye fam For our next small bite, we get into Danielle's firsthand accounts of navigating the dreaded healthcare system while desperately seeking answers for a debilitating ailment. All right, fam, let's get right into it. We're going to um, take a small bite out of um, your essentially 2022 in a nutshell. Um, you've been a busy human lately. You've got a new job, which is very exciting, even working on a show, which is also very exciting so that you can flex that stage manager muscle. Um, I'm assuming that's the role you have. I guess you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, but uh, you know, you're kind of on the track of ending 2022 in a way that looks a bit different than you started 2022. Um, and that's what you wanted to talk about today. So uh, what um, what's kind of been your 2022 lesson that you want to talk about today? Yes, I am starting my, ending my year a lot differently than I started my year. Um, so from about November of 2021 until June or July of 2022, I was very ill. Um, I very suddenly developed a... a bunch of symptoms that revolved around uh, my digestion and some gastrointestinal issues. I could not digest food for long periods of time. Um, I was just uh, TMI, but I was like constantly throwing up. It it was awful. Um, And uh, yeah. um, Taking no bites. And not even the last. Right. Exactly. You're just taking none. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No bites at all. And I just, uh, it started as a thing where I thought it was, oh, I have the stomach flu and this will be over in a week. And then it wasn't, and it just kept going and it just kept going. And I had to take time off work and I had to 
basically just like be confined to my house and not do any of the things I wanted to do. And when I could go out and do things, I was just very miserable to try and figure out like, what am I going, if we're going out to a restaurant, what am I going to eat at that restaurant that won't make me throw up? And the answer usually was nothing. Mm. Um, Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, So that's what I was dealing with for the majority of the year was being ill and dealing with sort of the consequences of that. Uh, There was a long time where I just thought that like, I am not going to get better. This is just how my life is now. And I'm going to be ill for the rest of my life. And it's going to just be this way. Um, And that's a very hard mentality to live with, I think, um, Mm -hmm. at least for the short, for, for the short period of time that I did have to live with it, you know, thankfully. Um, And it sort of gave me this very interesting window into what it may be like or could be like for someone who is chronically ill uh, in the way that I am not um, or that maybe I was for a period of time but am no longer um, in in that very privileged way that I, you know, I am not uh, consistently chronically ill, but I was chronically ill for a period of several months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gives you a very interesting insight into the whole like medical establishment. There was a lot of times I would I was astonished by the amount of time that I had to wait to go to the doctor. Um, Mm. I would make an appointment with my, my PCP and they'd be like, okay, well, the next appointment available is in three months. And I'd say, I can't wait three months. I am having, this is debilitating. This is, Mm. the situation is completely untenable. I cannot go through every single day consistently throwing up my food and not like having nutrition. This is not Mm. tenable. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was just not an answer for me. You know, there was just not, they were like, well, that's how the scheduling works. So that's what you're going to have to deal with. Or, you know, you're being referred to a specialist and then you'd get the bill for that specialist and then it's out of network. And Mm -hmm. then you have to pay a bunch of medical bills uh, that you didn't know that you needed to pay. And it it feels like punitive almost, you know, it feels like, ha ha ha, on top of being sick. You how dare you be sick? Go, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. How dare you be sick? How dare you be sick? Also from like a, like a, a corporate standpoint, I was working a corporate job at that point yeah. of like, you have this amount of sick days. And then after that, you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on short-term disability for quite some time. And even getting short-term disability was an uphill battle, you know, having to mm-hmm. constantly be on calls with my caseworker of like, this is why I can't work. This is what I'm going through. And just, I felt like I was being interrogated all the time. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was constantly this question of like the validity of my illness, um, not just from like, like superior folks as in like my caseworker or as like, you know, my doctor, but also like from people around me who would Mm. see me and be like, oh, you say that you're ill, but you don't look particularly ill at this moment. And it's like, well, no, I don't. But, you know, spend a significant amount of time with me and you'll see that I can't eat any food, which Mm -hmm. makes you quite ill. Mm -hmm. And it's just this very interesting like microcosm of what folks who are consistently chronically ill have to deal with in our society. And I'm, I'm, glad that I no longer have to deal with that. Um, Turns out uh, my gallbladder was not working the way it was supposed to, got Mm -hmm. it removed, and all of my symptoms just went away, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, miraculous. Uh, But for a lot of people, the solution is not that easy. The solution is there is no solution. And -hmm. you just have to sort of deal with what you deal with every Mm -hmm. day. And props to those folks, honestly, because I don't think I could deal with what I dealt with any longer than how how long I dealt with it. So that's, I guess, something that I 
something I did in this year that I didn't think I'd be doing is all the stuff I'm doing now. Like you said, I have this, I have this really excellent job um, that I really like in a field that I'm very interested in. Mm -hmm. um, I, I am uh, stage management, but I'm also assistant direction. So that's Get also it. what I'm doing. Okay. Yes. It's great. It's great. Uh, actually <laughs> the show closed, the show closed very recently. So now I am, having more free time, but I still have mm. to like get my whole life together, you know? Yes. What a concept indeed. <laughs> I what's, uh, we'll use the word interesting. I don't want to, mm -hmm. because that's a very Minnesota way for me to phrase it. But, you know, I think about how at around this time last year, you and I were recording a previous small bite and we were focusing on your ferrets. Um, mm -hmm. and, but also like, just by nature of talking about your ferrets, we were talking about your experience with COVID because we learned through that conversation that ferrets can get COVID, which was mind boggling and important to the story. Um, but I, I'm curious for you, you know, navigating your stint with trying to like pursue an answer that just didn't seem to be achievable to figure out ultimately that your gallbladder was just not cooperating, you know, with the, context of this ongoing global health pandemic, you know, do you feel like that heightened or exacerbated some of your like frustration and concern and questions and just kind of like um, trepidation around like not being able to figure out an answer knowing that you'd had COVID twi twice, right? Twice prior to this um, November to, to June or July. June -ish, yes. Yeah. yeah. Fall to summer stint of trying to figure this out, right? You've had COVID twice. Let me lay that out again. You've had COVID twice. And then not too long after you're having these, you know, unanswerable um, symptoms that took a really long time to figure out what was going on, right? Like what was, the, was there like a time or a, a continued internal questioning of like, are these related? Do you even still question yeah. related? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really interesting because, um, at the, at the time, you know, uh, when I first had COVID, I did have some like gastrointestinal issues. So I was like, oh, maybe mm -hmm. I'm getting COVID again. Maybe I have a stomach bug. Maybe I have the flu. Cause it, it was, it was November. It was also flu season. Right. So I was like, okay, maybe this is something that's happening. Um, but then after I took several COVID tests and were asked by all of the doctors I went to, do you have COVID? The answer was no. Um, but, you know, on that list of symptoms that when you go to the doctor and they always ask you, do you have lists of symptoms? And one of them is nausea and vomiting. So I'd always have to be like, oh, yeah, well, I do have that, but I have nothing else. And they'd be like, well, you have to get the COVID test. You have to go get a PCR test. It was like, OK, well, that's inconvenient, but I will do it anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I do feel like seeking healthcare in the time of the pandemic is definitely definitely exacerbates a lot of the um inequities, shall we say, um, of our healthcare system uh, in that. Uh, like I said, I think if I had this problem like before COVID, it probably would have been solved earlier because mm -hmm. wait times for doctors would not have been so long. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have been so trepidatious as well about going to the hospital. I only went to the hospital once in this whole course of everything, um, like when it first started and it was like really, really severe. Um, it was severe the whole time, but it, it was just like very worrying when it first started happening. Um, and then I sort of just had to <laughs> get used to it, which is right. a terrible thing to have to do. But, um, and I, I was, I was very trepidatious to go to the hospital. Like when I was in the hospital, there was, there's not a room for me to be in. Mm -hmm. Like when I was in the ER, uh, and the room that was, I was in a hallway and then the room that was like right kitty corner to me had a COVID patient in it. 
Mm. And I was sitting there and I was just like, oh Lord, like if I, if I go to this hospital and they don't figure out what's wrong with me and then I have to go home and I get COVID, like that's going to be awful. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it's definitely bringing, it brings up a lot of very, um, I don't want to say interesting because that's an annoying word, like you said, <laughs> but but a lot of very um, things that you wouldn't have normally thought about uh, in terms of the healthcare system with the with the pandemic. Um, and also, I think it just uh, it makes it so that there was a period of time where I, I thought that maybe I had long COVID, that I thought that, you know, that these were just symptoms that were popping up like at, uh, several months after I had had COVID. And I was like, oh, maybe this is just that thing that everyone's talking about. Uh, and then I, I did a bunch of research on it and I looked up, you know, people, you know, forums and stuff and people who were like, this is my experience with long COVID. This is my experience with long COVID. And God, it's so variable as well. People can get like anything, it seems, that can be related to long COVID, which is nuts. Um, but I didn't see anything that like resembled what I was going through. And then uh, again, I did a bunch of COVID tests and I went to a bunch of doctors and they were all like, yeah, we don't think this is COVID related. Um, but it certainly doesn't help that you've had COVID sure. because, you know, your immune system is all buggy, you know. Um, so, yeah, but I do think it definitely did affect the way that I sought healthcare and also the way that I was treated by the healthcare system uh, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because looking back, it's so obvious, like it's so, so obvious what was wrong with me. Uh, and I feel like they should have figured it out like several months before they did figure it out. Mm. Um which is very frustrating uh, to just feel like you are not being taken seriously by the medical establishment mm -hmm. uh, and that you are, I, I was told several times, like after they figured out it was my gallbladder, I was like, well, you're way too young to have problems with your gallbladder. And it's like, yes, okay. I realize that. <laughs> Thank you for telling me, but that's not very helpful. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and so the, the, the curiosity I had was, was just kind of, knowing that we don't know a lot about long COVID symptoms yet. And that we, you know, we right. have this very small sampling of understanding of folks who had COVID early enough to even start making slightly informed guesses about what the longer term implications of COVID is going to be. I know that I am on, you know, damn near my second anniversary of having COVID and I had COVID well before we had any vaccinations or treatments and I'm still experiencing noticeable long-term symptoms with my taste and smell um, but that right. we still don't know what some of the more kind of like internal organ related long COVID symptoms are and so I, I think too thinking about a combination of like experiences that queer and trans folks have especially right just kind of like the level of severity that I think any um, sniffle or cough has kind of reached in a time of a global health pandemic that like, it's really easy to jump to, is this a COVID symptom? You know, because there's so, it has changed so significantly and frequently that there's just so many miscellaneous things that seem unrelated or that depending on the strain of COVID, it's gonna manifest differently, right? Like one of the right. early symptoms of like, what were they, COVID toe? was <laughs> you know what I mean like that was a whole ass thing and it's like what do you mean that things are happening to people's toes that is an indicator or an early sign of COVID contraction like that's just our bodies are so fucking weird is the moral of that story totally. so just you know just thinking about like for me and maybe it's just because I have you know mildly managed anxiety and <laughs> an overactive ima imagination of just I think that what I've witnessed and what I've experienced is that queer and trans people 
um, you know, who already are disproportionately excluded from proper healthcare are at a place where we're kind of overanalyzing ourselves because we have to, right? Like trying to determine like, is this a stomach bug or is this something that's actually going to be, you know, more severe or something that's gonna require certain levels of treatment? Um, and to your point, right? Like the disability justice folks, you know, have been doing this kind of rigmarole bullshit for ever, like literally forever. Um, and I think that there's continued lessons that we're extracting as we continue to figure out what does it mean to have to navigate uncertainty and wariness about going to the doctor because of the possibilities of being mistreated or misunderstood or not taken as being an expert on our own bodies and own experiences and things that are happening to us. Um, and also the continued like structural um, pressure on our like healthcare facilities where we still have right now today, circa December 22nd, 2022, right? Where the beds are full that people are not able to get into a doctor's appointment within a couple of days, they have to wait several weeks and potentially compound or exacerbate things because they're being left unmanaged and unattended to. Um, where we have, you know, at least in the state of Minnesota, and I'm sure this is happening in multiple states, but I, I'm seeing it in my front yard where nurses are going on strike because of inappropriate, you know, uh, care for them during the pandemic and inappropriate wages. You know, there's all these compounding pieces. And so then you boil it down to you know the life of Danielle <laughs> trying to just figure out like what does this mean for me um and getting a front row seat to essentially this very globally shared experience of this is unsustainable and this is having you know significant impact on people's well-being and their day-to-day -day lives and their ability to enjoy food right I still can't eat peanut butter I still can't eat milk chocolate you know oh, no. I know <laughs> like I yeah those are still things like that are just impacting people you know and this is just the tip of the iceberg like these are things that definitely have detriment to you know our lives you not being able to eat and have having to take several months just because you're allegedly too young to experience that particular issue um, and also, if you were a cishet white man, you probably would have been heard the first time. Probably. Womp, womp. <laughs> and tangent. <laughs> yeah, I no, I, I agree. And like part of it as well was really interesting to me is that because it was like an abdominal pain, I mm. was subjected to a lot of stuff of like, are you pregnant? Is there a possibility that you are pregnant? Is And a lot of stuff with like my reproductive organs. And it was like, can we not deal with this, please? Because I like the, the dysphoria, the dysphoria is bad. And mm -hmm. I was just like, can we not please talk about this? Obviously, like it's a medical establishment. I'm not going to tell the doctors how to do their jobs. But at the same time, I was like, I am I am 100% positive. Like, I have an IUD. I am not pregnant. Can we please, like, get away from this idea that this is somehow related to my reproductive organs and deal with, like, what this actually probably is, which is something in my digestive tract? Mm. And they were stuck on that for quite some time. <laughs> I'm sure they were. Yeah. Well, to your point, though, of, like, not telling the doctors how to do their jobs, sometimes I feel like you do have to tell uh -huh. the doctors how to do their job from a place of like <laughs> basic human decency. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, you know, during kind of this global health pandemic, you know, I've heard plenty of stories 
from folks, you know, for a variety of reasons, right? Either their own personal experience of having to go to a doctor or like a loved one who was, you know, experiencing a significant um, illness who was hospitalized. All these, all these instances of like having to advocate in this very stern and emphatic way, lest they not, you know, not get proper treatment. And I just, I don't know where, where that lets up, you know, I think there's just some key pieces of like, (laughs) my brain's trying to say three thoughts at once. Um, Just like, how do we slow things down to a point where like folks, folks' health needs get addressed, but where we can insert a bit more basic human decency and like communication skills also sometimes feels like the barrier um, to really lessen the bureaucratic and administrative stuff that takes the people out of it. Cause to your point, right? Like you were told, well, that's just how scheduling works as though that's an answer that is supposed to satisfy you, right? There's, you know, there's no in between. It's either you don't get an appointment or you wait three weeks for an appointment. Well, what are you supposed to do in the interim, right? Like why does the structure not allow or um, does not have, is not equipped with how to navigate in the meantime, right? How to navigate between seeing specialist number one and specialist number two. And we got to have a whole separate conversation about how our healthcare system has been segmented into these specialty areas to where no one has any answers that are actually going to be helpful, but um, we don't have oh, to yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like about, about the, the advocating for folks is like, I, I'm not good at that. I'm not good mm-hmm. at advocating for myself, especially in a medical setting. So like, thank God, like my partner is amazing at that. Yeah. Um, their mom was a nurse actually who, all, who quit during the pandemic because of the like untenable situations mm-hmm. with nurses. Um, and so like knows how to advocate like for like medical needs in that way. Like, thank God, because I was not able to do that. Like in any context, like, you know, like, I feel like there has to be a class, you know, (laughs) like before you go to the doctor of like, okay, this is how you're supposed to talk to a doctor. And this is how you get what you need from a doctor. Mm -hmm. This is like the words that you use, you know, like a little vocabulary sheet, like you need Mm -hmm. flashcards, you know, like, that's how I feel. That's Mm -hmm. how I feel it has to be, which is sad. It is sad. And I also feel like it, you know, it gets worrisome because I think that then there's, there's kind of this like choreography, especially for trans and non-binary folks to kind of have to figure out like what is the appropriate usage of certain like language to effectively communicate a level of like severity or like urgency to a situation like a health-related situation but to not overstate the severity as to then elicit like a treatment or a diagnosis that's going to have irreparable like consequences for someone later, right? Like uh, I think about, you know, the, the, the intersections and the interplay between like queerness, transness and mental health, right? To not have things off played um, because it's assumed that, well, that's just a, a symptom or a manifestation of mental illness or like a, you know, a diagnosis of a mental illness that's going to then negate someone's experience as a queer and trans person to then say, well, that's because you're, you're mentally ill. You need to go to a therapist. We're not going to treat you for maybe something that's um, affecting you bodily or vice versa. Just, I don't know where the thought was going, but just, I, I think that there's, 
you know, there could be a class, but it's also a matter of just like, how do you effectively communicate the urgency? Um, but then also not like trigger something that's going to then cause you to be institutionalized or hospitalized in a way that's not going to be beneficial for you. And ultimately, I think why we just avoid doctor's offices in the first place, because we don't want to be sauntered into um, a situation we didn't ask for. Totally. Uh, you know, I think we could certainly talk till we're blue in the face about all the issues with the healthcare system. But um, this, this worked out in a, in a good way for you, right? That again, you started this year, just wondering what the fuck was going on. Um, and how much longer were you going to have to endure, you know, through the loopholes and the obstacle course that is our uh, healthcare system. Um, but here you are towards, you know, a couple days until 2023. So just like in general, like a combination of, you know, your uh, health questions being answered and all the other things, you know, what has been, what are you taking into 2023 um, based on all those experiences for you? I think gratitude would mm. be something mm. because I don't, I don't think I realized how much I took for granted, like my health, because I am a young person, you know, you just sort of think like, I'm healthy, and I'm going to be healthy for forever. Uh, oh, obviously, yes. that's not true. Uh, but when you really take for granted your health, when you and then you realize when you don't have it, when you are not as healthy as you could be, uh, or quote, unquote, should be, um, then that is it messes with your life. Uh, so I think I'm taking I'm taking a lot of gratitude into the next year mm -hmm. to just really take stock of what I have and be grateful for the people around me and the advocates I have and the, my body, be grateful for my body. That reminds me of a um, writing class I went to with Autumn Brown, where she made a point and I'll never forget it. Cause I was like, that both um, scares me because it reminds me of like our, you know, impending mortality. Um, but just like, was also kind of like motivating and important and like, hu like, uh, offered a, a level of humility that I wasn't prepared for but she said that like all of us are temporarily able-bodied right like for those of us who are able-bodied um like we are all temporarily able-bodied and I was just like wow and so like even just like connecting kind of your um extracted lessons from your experience navigating the the healthcare system and and whatever you know additional interrogations that required of you with yourself um is just that like what are we doing in this current moment if we do have the privilege of being able-bodied in any way or you know able-minded in any way um to kind of navigate right like what is our preparedness what are we aware of like how do we understand the systems that exist for when there inevitably comes a time where we need to access it or what alternatives are there that we may be able to access to circumvent um what is just a really treacherous and frustrating time-consuming um, bureaucratic process, um, you know, in instances where we may need to take short-term disability, you know, how do we move to a place where that's not some shitty bureaucratic process that requires lots of documentation and time while we're trying to balance maybe the, the depths of a health crisis um, or just, you know, complexities with health or just trying to rest, right? Like, I feel like there's also this indication that you can only access your sick time, you know, or your other benefits that relate to your health and wellness in times of, you know, the most severe sickness you could possibly have minus 
I just need a day. I just need a day to like be me and be free from the constraints of capitalism because it always comes back to that, right? So I, you know, I'm I'm grateful to witness like your gratitude and like, you know, the fact that you are <laughs> you are not um in that sticky shitty place of, you know, I, I think witnessing that for you like the wondering, like the not having answers is just such this yeah. like, this like consistent factor that I experience in talking to people, especially queer and trans people and other marginalized people navigating healthcare systems is that we're just looking for answers, right? And like how valuable it could be to have a connection with a healthcare provider who says, you know, I'm going to partner with you to find the answers. I'm not just going to string you along or pass you off to the next person who's also not gonna have answers for you. And I, I think that part just adds so much um, frustration so uh I don't know where that thought wanted to land and end but just again we're all temporarily um at the height of our health or at the you know place that our health decides we're going to be at this moment and so we um ideally deserve better healthcare systems and practices I'm reminded of a book that I'll definitely link in the show notes because it was very transformative for me called um the care we dream of um by Zena Sherman 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 I don't remember exactly the last name um but just talks about like really needing to devise you know, these better processes and systems for us when it comes to care and health and wellness and what that even means and just thinking beyond, um, you know, improving our current structures, um, et cetera. So um, is there anything else you're carrying into 23? What do you leave, uh, better question, what are you leaving in 2022? We're, we're gonna end on that. What are you leaving? What is getting tied up? in a fucking trash bag and left in 2022. What's in that? What's in it? <laughs> My gallbladder. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, I don't know. Um, Toodaloo gallbladder. Like, Bye-bye. Good riddance. Um, like, I don't know. Uh, not fully, but I think like self-doubt Okay. a little bit uh, because uh, I think through this whole process, there was a lot of time where I was like, am I really sick? Am I really that ill? Like, you know, questioning a lot of myself and doubting a lot of my lived experience. And I'm, I'm done doing that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really done doing that. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to bring into or leave behind, I guess, uh, the, the self-doubt leave behind a, uh, a lot, if not all of that. Mm. Love that. Yeah. Well, happy to help you um, stay true to that, that wish and that hope because yeah we don't we don't need that here no we don't our third small bite follows michelle's mental health journey for the last year including therapy going no contact with a family member, and taking stock of the community support they had to make hard decisions. Uh, So based on the prompts that I offered out to our team to see who wanted to do a small bite, um, I gave those prompts out specifically, you know, several weeks before the winter holidays, which I think probably added an additional level of context um, to what you have chosen to bring to us to talk about today. Um, So why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a starter pack here of what we're going to talk about for this small bite. So 
for, you know, this prompt of thinking about something that I, you know, never thought I could accomplish. Um, mm. I want to talk about my mental health journey in 2022. Um, I did a speed run, um, as will be um, established throughout this uh, podcast. There is also a neurodivergent diagnosis that occurred. So um, as you can imagine, I don't do anything half-assed. Um, Evidently not. <laughs> no, I decided I'm going to do therapy and I'm going to win. Um so I did a lot of stuff this year. Um, so I just kind of want to share my experiences in case they're helpful for other folks who are mm -hmm. going through it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is, um, appreci I appreciate, I think, you taking the extra step to kind of lay out your personal narrative behind. Because I'd also add, right, that because I was, you know, shoulder tapping folks for these small bites um, right around the same time that... Um, you had actually suggested the idea for whether it was going to be a podcast episode or an article, we weren't quite sure yet. It ended up being kind of like a BuzzFeed style listicle that was community sourced from folks on our team um, of uh, some kind of support guide for how to navigate the holidays. And I think behind that suggestion for just some kind of resource that we could put out to um, all of our respective audiences, I'm assuming that it was also, you know, because you were in a very raw and like current place of contesting with what does it mean to be a queer person navigating the holidays and you have a very specific um, and kind of emerging version of that that is probably new this year because um what you've already you know mentioned of starting therapy um and also some other major uh mental health milestones if you will um this year so why don't you start us off with just like you know what was the what was the decision about therapy like like what has that meant for this year especially going into some of the big things that you want to also mention came out of your mental health journey one, throw a trigger warning on the top of the episode. I won't get into details of anything for folks listening, but um, just I will tangentially mention, um, you know, some childhood trauma stuff. So basically setup is I have always been a very high anxiety person, a lot of issues in social settings, things like that, um, primarily due to narcissistic abuse at home growing up. Um, so I'll kind of leave it, leave it there. It's all emotional stuff, but, you know, just all of the gaslighting, all that stuff, all the you're never good enough. Basically, that was kind of the that's my base level. And shout out to my younger sibling, who is the, you know, generational curse breaker. She um, gently but assertively <laughs> many years wore me down until I was ready to consider therapy. <laughs> um she had had a lot of successes and knew that I would as well. Um, and so one, having people in your corner who support you is super wonderful and amazing. Kind of thankfully, um, her therapist took my insurance. Um, <laughs> so I got to not have to explain the background. Oh, wow. I got to just jump right in because like she had been seeing um, this therapist for years. So she already kind of knew like the base level we were working with. And so we just had to talk through my specifics and like mm -hmm. my actual situation. Cause you know, we're different people. We reacted different, you know? Um, so that was super helpful. Um, not uh, something that everybody can do. Um, mm -hmm. But the real like prompt for it was we were coming into Christmas. Um, so this was Christmas of last year, 2021. That is my highest like uh 
stress day due mm. to just the amount of pressure that we had to have a perfect holiday. Um, it was, you know, you need to look a certain amount of grateful. You need, you know, all of those mm. things that, you know, can come with holidays. Um, and it was, I was really stressed out going into it. And so my sister's like, why don't we do one joint session? That's how she tricked me. One joint session. Um, <laughs> so the plan was we're going to talk about um, how we can support each other through it. Um, we created, I put this actually in that blog post you mentioned about um, tips for the holidays. Mm. Um, we came up with like a system of um, like camaraderie where, you know, if I need to get out of conversation or we need a redirect, I can signal to her and vice versa and like kind of have a system planned for like navigating. Um, worked pretty well. It honestly wasn't that bad of a Christmas compared to previous ones. But I think it finally put me in this mindset of like, I'm in my 30s. Why am I doing this? Mm. Like, why why do I have to have my body cropped out of the photos because I'm too fat? You know what I mean? Damn. Like, <laughs> like that wasn't atypical behavior. It was nothing new. I wasn't surprised by it, but I realized I don't have to do that mm. anymore. Um, so that kind of got me thinking, right. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll keep going to therapy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kept, kept doing it. Um, we were doing it like fairly often, um, you know, really regular cadence, especially at the beginning. Um, so I got a lot of sessions in, which was helpful and very thankful that I am privileged enough to have a job that covers mental health care mm -hmm. um, and found somebody that was a good for, fit for me in my insurance network. Um, so I do want to name that. Um, as we kind of, you know, got into it, I just realized that I've got so many people that I value in my life and that value me. Mm -hmm. um, I've got an amazing network of friends that live locally. I've got an amazing partner. I've got an amazing sister. I had all my amazing friends at the Institute who I, I can share community space with. Um, I get along really well with my coworkers. I'm like, I don't need people in my life that make me feel bad. Mm -hmm. True. <laughs> um, True. It seems super simple, um, but it's not. Um, you know, so it came up to my birthday being kind of the first net, you know, family situation happening after Christmas. And I decided, nope, it's my birthday. I'm not dealing with it. Um, so that is, you know, I talked to my therapist in advance and that was when I decided no contact here on out um, for my mother specifically. So the piece that's really complicated is that my parents are still together and I would like sure. to maintain a relationship with my father. Yes. So that's the piece that has always held me back. Mm -hmm. um, so I called him and I told him that that's exactly what's going on. Um, so had that conversation up front. He said he's going to try and keep making it work. So I'm like, okay, I've got, I've got what I need, right? So yeah, I went no contact. Um, the only attempts have been um, like very vague um, reconciliation attempts of like, so why are you mad at me? Was one, and that was the only communication attempt I got I didn't hear from her again until Thanksgiving um and it was hey what kind of pie do you want at Thanksgiving that was the full context of that text and then it happened again for Christmas so those are the only three um 
messages I've received from my mother in this entire year since I went no contact. So that to say, it really reaffirms my decision making, right? Like that is not how, if I was, I'm not a parent, but if I was, that's not how I would behave. (laughs) So it really reaffirmed it. And the amount of stress that has left my life is amazing. So that's like one of the things I want to convey to folks is like, you know, like, is this going to make it worse for me? Is this going to make it better? I mean, you got to make your decision for you, but it has made my life so much better. I don't have this sinking like dread when I get a text message. I don't have like this weight on my shoulders every day. You know, that's kind of the initial long story short. That's the initial jump into why I started therapy and kind of the first thing I did was the hardest thing Mm. to like set the hardest boundary Mm -hmm. yeah I think the fact that you kind of had the opportunity to like actually use your words and communicate the boundary is something that I don't I genuinely don't know if a lot of folks get the opportunity to do when they especially queer and trans folks maybe make the choice Mm -hmm the non-choice of doing a no contact with a family member of any kind, right? And like, you know, I've got my own fair share of mama drama trauma. Um, And there was never really a moment where like, I got to say with words, like, I am intentionally not communicating with you, or I am intentionally not going to be around you. Um, And that I think holds a lot of power and just being able to say like I I very definitively communicated the boundary it's less gray it's less midwest right like you have been you have been told and you have been warned and that there you know that there's a boundary so I think that that's a really important distinction hearing you talk to me about right that like when I think about my own experiences or what I've you know gathered from other friends that I have who have similar ish experiences with maternal birth givers specifically right like they don't really get that opportunity it's kind of a the maternal birth giver just kind of keeps speaking into the void and there's no responsiveness but that doesn't seem to deter them Um, they just kind of keep trying to communicate until they wear themselves out or they move on to the next Mm -hmm. sometimes literally victim but but yeah I think that's a pretty specific distinction that I'm glad in Mm a unfortunate way that you had the opportunity to have So for me, it is slightly roundabout because I did, um, because the conversation that I had was with my father. Sure. So he more told her, I think. I think think that counts. Yeah. but I think that counts. The thing is, is I had been trying to assert boundaries my entire life and she never listened. Yeah. So that was kind of, this is one of the things I really debated with my therapist back and forth, you know, like, you know, not debated because she's just giving me options. Yeah. (laughs) But I think <laughs> it was a sounding board. Um, <laughs> but um, I really went back and forth of if I wanted to formally say something to her or just stop speaking to her entirely. Yeah. I knew I wanted to formally address my father because I still want that relationship. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but with her, I'm like, okay, do I just ghost her? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kind of, I wanted that satisfaction, felt like, like closure I want to have a full I want to tell her um but the thing is is she's got narcissistic personality disorder mm-hmm. she's not going to feel empathy or guilt correct um she may feel guilt for a second but she's going to turn that into what I did to her to oh, yeah. 100%. You know, yeah 
narcissists are in a state of arrested development they have not developed emotional maturity behind their child beyond their childhood um and quick, scene. <laughs> quick summary <laughs> um i'll say i'm not a mental health professional i just uh i have done a lot of research um for myself um sure <laughs> Sure. Um, and I'm doing things um but anyway so basically my therapist was like she's not gonna admit it you're not gonna get closure she's not gonna give it to you mm-hmm. um so I decided not to spend the emotional energy any longer on her I decided to spend it on my dad I think that makes a lot of sense and she took the hint quickly like I said I've gotten three text messages from her since and they've been very weak I think what I'm like half-baked thinking in my brain, right? Like just this formulating thought um, of just how it's already a really tumultuous situation for like cishets who exist in these like nuclear family spaces where a parental figure is, you know, either abusive for whatever reason, right? Whether or not they're a narcissist. Um, And just then adding the additional layer of being queer and trans people of trying to discern, like, would this be different Mm -hmm. if I was not some shade of queer? Or would this be different if my parent did not perceive me as a queer person, right? Like, would this change? And um, I don't know that there's ultimately a question in there, but just I'm just kind of thinking about that added element of just kind of how complex as fuck it would be for someone to kind of internalize this um, message about their queerness under the auspices of someone who does not have their best interests cognitively, conceptually, mentally, emotionally, physically, like any uh, of any empathy whatsoever, like you just kind of said. So, Mm -hmm. God. And um, yeah, that is a complicated piece of all. Of Can this. someone make that their dissertation soon? I would like. I would like to read that research. Thank you. Because <laughs> it's like, on one hand, you could argue it didn't factor in to their perception because I never came out to them. Sure. However, they have suspected I was mm-hmm. some shade of queer since I was in high school. Exactly. Um, and have made it very clear to me that that was not acceptable (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you know I never had the conversation with them but I knew what the conversation would be Mm -hmm. um okay so then as it stands now you have been on your no contact stream for Mm -hmm. how long uh since my birthday which would have been March March Um, yeah that's a gift myself um so yeah almost come up a year on that um but a full year of therapy under my belt um and still going I have no intention of stopping um just because I did as much work as I possibly could in a year um (laughs) doesn't mean I did it all sure um and it is always just helpful to have somebody just bounce stuff off of um I am in very introspective so mostly it's me talking at her um but (laughs) that's her job too so (laughs) um but yeah as I another big change for me in the last year is um I also invited my best friend to come move in with me um which yes we love Dan Dan friend of the institute he volunteers at Emble Tech sometimes um but yeah he was uh, you know going through a tough time of his own and I said come come move in with me and uh, my partner and 
stay with us because we love you. Um, and one, it ended up being the funnest fucking thing in the world. Um, I was like a little nervous going in of like, oh, you know, we've never like been around each other for like more than like, you know, a few days at a time or whatever. Um, it was the best. We had a blast. Um, he stayed with me until he was able to, you know, he found a, he found a partner. They're super happy. They got their own place. It's great. But, um, in that year, um, he pointed out some things I do, um, because, you know, he has an ADHD diagnosis as well. Um, and he said, you know, you do these things and I do these things. Um, you might want to get that looked at. Um, <laughs> it looks like a duck yeah. and quacks like a duck. It might be a neurodivergent duck. <laughs> yeah. Um, so of course, I think this happens to a lot of people, but like TikTok was already telling me. Yeah, that. Um, you know how the algorithm is. Um, sure. so I already was getting all of these. And I'm like, no, couldn't be me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I relate to some of them, but couldn't be me. Um, so, you know, he's actually like, no, no, like, gifted kids usually do have <laughs> some sort of neurodivergence a lot of the time. And I was like, oh, that burnout former gifted kid meme is is real, real, huh? Um, <laughs> but which is also what causes folks to get missed because if you can cope your way through school mm, sure. and do really well nobody says anything yes um, and statistically about, aren't afab folks also not diagnosed at quite yes. the caliber right yeah exactly so that is another layer in there as well as yeah afab folks like you mentioned um because of the way that we're socialized the behaviors that, you know, we might have as a neurodivergent person are what they want out of us. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, you're such a good kid. You're so quiet. Oh, so quiet. Oh, I'm so hyper-focusing quiet. on reading this hardbound <laughs> dictionary for the 15th time. So yes, I'm going to be Yeah. Quiet. So good at following rules and processes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then throw on parents that don't believe in that. Like they think that like, you know, and I apologize to anybody, the, the tr little trigger warning on this one. They think um, autism is caused by bad parenting. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so like the, they wouldn't have caught it. They wouldn't have noticed because they were emotionally neglecting me and more, you know, you know, the whole thing. Oh, <laughs> trying to minimize me as it's all related <laughs> it's all related well and there is a heavy overlap between complex ptsd autism spectrum disorder and um adhd there's like a you know there's a big overlap it's a venn um, diagram that's almost a circle mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't think that's coincidental by any means no it's probably not <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah so yeah totally got missed but um I went and got, oh, here's, this is a lovely thing about community space. I like this story. Okay. So the way that I found my doctor to do an assessment is um, the town that I live in has this really, really wonderful um, coffee and dry bar that is um, a queer community space. It's super cool. It's, you know, totally a dry hangout spot. So that way queer folks in the community have a space to go that doesn't have alcohol. 
Um, they do all sorts of community events where, you know, they have game nights, they have regular, like different, you know, meetups based on interests. Um, it's just a really dope place to hang out. Um, so I was there with my sister and one of our friends and we were having some coffee and just chit chatting and we were talking about this stuff. Um, the person that we were with happened to be in healthcare. Um, you know, I was talking about, you know, like, Hey, you know, I really think that I got, you know, something going on. Maybe it's ADHD. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. And this person that I've never met, I didn't even catch their name. Unfortunately, I'd like, would love to like message them. Um, but this random person that was sitting by us was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I heard what you're talking about. And I know it can take a really long time to get into those doctors and find somebody and all of that. I just got an assessment and a diagnosis. Let me give you the contact information. Mm. Sure enough, I contacted that doctor. He was able to get me in within a month, which is really fast yeah. for um, that type of assessment. And yeah, he was able to get me, you know, do the full assessment, do the diagnosis, get me a note for my primary so I can like talk about like, you know, medication options and all that. Like just somebody in, in the community was just looking out. Um, and actually helped me and like they may they might not like ever actually know how much they helped me for sure oh gosh if only like our healthcare systems were that simple yeah I I don't have personal experience with taking those assessments but everyone I've ever encountered was just like oh yeah there's like a bajillion month wait time for me to even get in there and like get the evaluation or they get the evaluation and it's like I had a student joking about it and they're like they basically told me I had autism light and I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I just, I'm still trying to figure it out. I was like, that's um, not necessarily helpful when like you get some version of a diagnosis and you still don't actually know what the implications are for like <laughs> what you do with that information. Um, cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad. I was so worried that I think I'm a high masker, I would say. Sure. And that is because of my trauma. Um, I had to learn to mask as a coping mechanism. That's another reason that it gets missed in um, kids, kids that come from trauma situations to get mi it's missed because they're masking mm -hmm. and AFAB folks, because we're always masking. Um, we're always making ourselves smaller for society. So <laughs> I was really worried um, I was not going to get an adult diagnosis, um, but sure. I'm very thankful. I, there was a actual like test that was like on a computer testing focus and I bombed it. So, um, <laughs> I don't know if it would, I would have done it with interview alone, but, um, with actual testing, I was like, Ooh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so very thankful. I got a firm diagnosis and not like a, maybe. That's what I'm saying. Just like, what are you supposed to do with kind of the, like, you're on the cusp. Mm -hmm. Like it's your astrology signs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I feel like the metaphor I made before I push the record button feels just very um, relevant still, so I want to tackle it again. Just, I was naming that it feels like these small bites are trying to, like, shove, you know, too much patachou into, <laughs> too much pastry cream into the eclair, and that it is just bursting at the seams with its fragile little casing. And I mean that in a way just to say that, like, these are such abundant and, like, expansive ways of kind of grappling with things that are technically very personal like those things specifically happen to you right like every single you know detail of that happened to you but and also 
and mm-hmm. also um it just feels very like familiar I think to just like so many ways in which I have heard from other individuals especially queer and trans folks talking about either their general navigation of mental health and our healthcare systems and then also specifically experiences with narcissistic maternal birth givers specifically or maybe just abusive parents or caregivers in general and just how much of that how much of that I think we still have left to like Mm-hmm. start uncovering in our queer and trans spaces because I think you know I think there's so much attention we pay to rightfully so to like elected politicians or like institution or like just like you know the Jeff Bezoses of the world that are just like causing corrupt criminal like mayhem um And also how much do we necessarily talk about like the shared experiences of coming from familial places in detail? Like, I think we all have, I think we all have the gist of it. It feels like this overtone in queer and trans spaces that like, yep, everybody's probably strutting around with family trauma of some kind because of course we do. And I don't know how much unearthing I've necessarily felt us collectively kind of grapple with like, how does that impact mental health? How does that impact the ways in which we come into relationship with other people? What is that like? I think there's I think there's some dotted lines that we have um, laid out very nicely. I think we um, would benefit from maybe doing more um, solid lines between those things to kind of keep doing the the community work that enables the self work of um, all that. So. Again, there's no question in there, but just like based on kind of this big picture you've laid out of all these really significant like shifts and changes and choices that you've made personally, like how would you like to wrap this up in a nice complicated messy bow for this small bite package? I think you hit the nail on the head definitely of like, these are my unique experiences, but they are not unique to the world. Like- I'm not the only one. Um, and it's actually like super common. Like I hit a lot of the classic check boxes for these things. Um, so I would say finding community and being open and destigmatizing. Um, because one of the, you know, things that really helped me beyond just, you know, I did have trusted people in my life that you know helped me and said hey I'm noticing these patterns of behavior that seems like it might be this you should you know think about it but also like social media like TikTok people always are like quick to you know be like oh yeah TikTok diagnosis for ADHD and autism um, and make a joke of it but think social media is one of the ways that you can connect to other people that maybe aren't in your physical proximity but there are other people like you that are having the same experience and you don't have to go through it alone. So just like seeing all of these other people, especially AFAB people going through mm-hmm. the same things, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, um, you know, try and be a part of, you know, find your community as best you can. I know it's it can be really difficult depending on circumstances, but me having... Um, a good support network of people in my life, chosen family um, that I know are going to be there for me and kind of curating who I keep in my life and who I don't gave me a lot of support. Um, And I, you know, 
also just again naming I've got a lot of privileges in that I was able to afford to go to the doctors mm-hmm. you know and all that um yeah I just want folks to know they're not the only ones going through these things there are other people too and we can lean on each other and learn from each other excellently said my friend Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgbinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>